Tonight we're going to talk about faith and courage. Okay? An impact player is full of faith and courage. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and then get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Lord, tonight that the God of the universe is involved in our lives. That, Lord, you're doing something special and significant in each and every person here tonight. Thank you, Lord, that we can count on you. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you're 110% reliable. That, Lord, you're faithful to all your promises. Heavenly Father, we ask you tonight that you'd touch our hearts, that you'd speak to our soul. I know, Lord, we come from a busy day, lots of activities, lots of things going on, concerns, fears, worries. We just give them to you tonight. We ask you, Lord, that you just help us to focus on you and what you want us to become. Lord, we want to be used by you. We want to be effective for you. We want God to be seen in our lives. We ask you, Lord, tonight to show us what it is you need from us. Help us, Lord, to see what type of person is the person that will have an impact on the world. We want to be those type of people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go to Hebrews 11, please. When you get to Hebrews 11... Put your finger in there for just a moment and turn, flip over to Hebrews 4. Let me look at verse 2. <clears throat> for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. You know, over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus is seeking to build his disciples' faith, isn't he? And you remember what he said about, um, I think it was Capernaum. He said if the miracles had been done that had been done in Sodom, they would have repented a long time ago. You remember uh, when Jesus came to, I think it was Samaria, he could not do many works there because of their unbelief. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then it says, Let us run. Let us cast off the sin that so easily entangles us. And cast off every encumbrance. You know what, you know what the number one sin is that entangles believers? The number one sin. Did anybody tell me what they think it is? What? Pride? What? Unbelief. Unbelief. Have you ever been discouraged? Anybody ever been discouraged? Okay. Do you know why you got discouraged? Have you have you ever, after you were discouraged and you were encouraged, have you ever stopped and analyzed for a moment? 
Now, why was I discouraged? Have you ever done that? It's a good thing to do. Good thing to do. Let me tell you a little insight into Christians and humans. Number one reason we get discouraged is because at that particular given time, we are disbelieving what we could be believing. And we are believing a lie. And we are believing that lie to the extent that is influencing our emotions. I'll show you in a few moments where God commands us, and He commanded Joshua, not to be terrified or discouraged. Told him not to be discouraged. Now, don't take this wrong. Every Christian struggles with discouragement, but God understands that. He's patient with us, but I want to help you understand how we can get regular victory over discouragement. That's only part of what I want to talk with you about tonight. God is not looking for people of great talent. God is not looking for people of great wealth or knowledge. But rather, God is looking for people of great faith. Of great faith. Great childlike faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and certain of what we do not see. The Berkeley Bible says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of an unseen reality. Okay? It's, it's, it's that as a Christian, you live in a reality that other people don't live in. The reality that most people live in is the reality of their feelings based upon the stimuli coming into their life. And that stimuli is bad circumstances. Right? Circumstances could involve a relationship, could involve a situation, could involve a project, it it could involve a myriad of things. Okay? And so the world that you and I live in, and the normal human makeup, and we all experience this in our lives, we respond to that stimuli that comes into our life, either by getting afraid, or being alarmed, or worrying But the person of faith lives in a different reality. They live in a reality that says, in spite of all this stimuli, in in spite of all the circumstantial evidence that says it won't work, God says it will. God says, I'll work all this for good, Mark. God says, you just seek me first, Mark, and I'll take care of the issues of your life. Now, I'm going to give you some examples of faith here in a moment in the arena of our real life. But the first thing is I want to establish to you what faith is. Faith is seeing the unseen. Faith is living in another reality that's not tangible. It's not a reality you can touch. That's why the Bible says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. The things that are seen, they're temporal. The things that are unseen, they're eternal. And so we walk by faith. So, this principle can be applied everywhere in your life. It can be applied on your job, in relationships, in your marriage, with your parenting, with your emotions, whatever it might be. But faith is the issue. Go to Romans chapter 4. 
Romans chapter 4, and verse 18. You know, probably one of the most important qualities to possess in your life, or maybe it's not a quality, it's an intent... It's a tangible, intangible thing. It's the quality of hope. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt hopeless? You just, you know, you're just in a situation and you looked out around the circumstances and just thought, there's just no hope here. You know, this is just a hopeless situation. That's when faith kicks in. That's when for a Christian, that's when it, it, it calls on our faith. Let me go, you know what? Uh, everything here looks really bad. Things are looking really, really bad. <clears throat> Years ago, when Brent and I first got together, it's been 12 and a half years now we've been together. And Brent and I were pastoring together this little church. And um, we had some pretty wild ideas as compared to what normally the people of this church thought. And um, and so I, re- I remember the first series that I began to teach to the believers. It was on servant evangelism. And um, I had some understandings from the New Testament that I believed in and Brent believed in them. I ran them by him before I shared them. He said, man, those are really good. I, we should share them. So I shared them with the church and at the end of the series, about 20 or 30 people left the church. Because they didn't like the principle of becoming all things to all men. They were uncomfortable with it. They wanted to continue the kind of lifestyle that most of them had been living. And Brent and I, as leaders, as leaders, we knew that no matter what happens, our mandate from God is to reach the Twin Cities and with our eye on the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our goal is not to pacify Christians. Our goal is to please and honor Jesus Christ by accomplishing His mission. Now that's a leader. Okay? And we knew we were called to do that. We knew we were not called to win a popularity contest. But I got to tell you, that was my first five months being a pastor. And um, and it's first you know, time he and I were together. Then, then we decided, uh, another thing we decided to do was uh, move the church. You saw some of this briefly on Super Saturday, but if you weren't there, I'll give you a little background. Some of the things you didn't hear about <laughs> And uh, we decided we, we needed to move the church 10 minutes south because the facility we were meeting in was rather dumpy. And we felt we needed a situation that was more excellent that would appeal to people. Well, we took flack for that because instead of 300 a month, it was 3,000 a month. We believe Matthew 6.33, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, all these things will be added to you. We believed it. We believed God wanted us to reach the Twin Cities and that God would back us up whether or not people did or not. Now, to be real honest with you, we started this church with a ragtag bunch of people. I say that in love. I love every one of them. I'm just saying to you that they were co-op hippies. 
Gothardites. And I won't describe to you what I mean by that. If you don't know, you don't need to know. <laughs> okay? And um, they were not accustomed to the kind of music that you see up here. Many of them were uncomfortable with this kind of music. They were not accustomed to uh, dressing like most of you are dressed in this auditorium tonight. We were a ragtag bunch of people. We believed God wanted us to reach the Twin Cities, and, we, and Brent and I were willing to make whatever changes were necessary. And if people wanted to come, they could come. And if they didn't, we were sorry. We loved them, but we weren't going to change our mission. We started out with a hopeless set of circumstances. A hopeless set of circumstances. But in faith, we believe the promises of God. We believe that God told us to go and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we came to this auditorium, and about the first five or six rows right there were full. And I remember the skepticism. There's one thing that I've encountered all my life, but especially as a Christian. There's always people telling me what I think can be done can't be done. It's amazing how many people are always telling me, can't it won't work, Mark. I have people telling me, you won't be able to raise the money for the rocks. Too close to the last fundraiser. It won't happen. Just, it won't happen. It won't, you better do this. You better do that. It's always somebody that it won't work. It won't work. It won't work. It ain't going to work. Oh, that's a dumb idea. That's part of leadership. Okay? But it's also part of faith. It's also part of faith. And I remember, you know, the kind of the Snickers when we pointed out to the auditorium. And the first Sunday here I pointed out to the auditorium and said, someday we'll fill this entire auditorium. Look around. We used to keep those closed so it wouldn't look so big to everybody. See. But one day we'll open them and we'll fill those. And then, you know, we'll fill it again. And then maybe we'll fill it again. And then we'll start churches in other places. Can you imagine saying that to 80 people sitting in the, in the row there, you know? I don't know if you know what 80 looks like in here, but it's not exactly exhilarating. <laughs> now, now, the question you have to ask, you see, is go, well, you know, Mark, you're just a cocky, arrogant guy. Well, no, that's not true, you know? I, I'm not saying I've never been cocky or arrogant. I would never have the audacity to believe that Brent and I could pull that off we used to have a band. We used to have a band, okay? The band, the band. The girl who used to play her piano would cry through all, every service. She would cry. She would stand behind the piano and play, and she'd cry. I'd have to try to get her together before each service. <laughs> the drummer was okay. When we first started the service, I used to come out and say hello, lead the singing, do the special, do the scripture reading. Brent would do the announcements, then come out and teach. Lead the worship on Wednesday, do the counseling, do a parents group. I mean, it was just go, go, everything, everything, everything. Brent was doing everything, everything, everything. It was just going, going all the time. Why? Because we believed against all odds, that God would take a couple ragtag, ordinary guys and bless us if we believe God. Everybody's telling you, church doesn't grow in America. You might as well leave America. People don't want to come to God in America. 
You're not going to reach baby boomers. They aren't interested in coming to Christ. Boy, it's a good thing I look around this room and I won't mention your names, but it's a good thing we didn't buy into that. A lot of you wouldn't be born again tonight if we'd have believed that. If we'd have believed in all the things that everybody said wouldn't happen that were impossible. See? What I could just tell you one story after another, after another, after another. Let's look at the story of Abraham. See, understand this. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. You know, the single most critical issue in our life is who we are focusing our heart and our mind on at any given time. Our lives as Christians are designed to to revolve around one person and one person alone. And that person is God. You know, I wake up in the morning and in my mind's eye, I see God. I go through my day, and in my mind's eye, I see and focus on God. I come to these meetings, and I'm remembering it's not about the people. It's about honoring God, my Heavenly Father, my Lord, my Master, my Savior, my Maker, my friend. My guide. God. It's about God. See, And our lives are not about the circumstances, but about God's promises in our lives. So here you've got Abraham. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Abraham was approximately 80, 75 to 80, when God came to him and said, you'll have a child. Now, Abraham never had a child. Believe me, he and Sarah tried. And they went through the motions and they did their part. They never had children. Now, for those of you who don't know much about uh, biology... The concept here is that Sarah was past menopause. I'm not going to describe to you what that means. It just means she couldn't have children anymore. She could not have children anymore. And I don't know if you know about, much about being 100 years old, but when you're 100 years old and there's no Viagra around, you don't really worry too much about sex. Now, you know, some people want to make you think that's true, but I can just tell you, talking with older friends of mine, the older you get, it's just, you know, not as relevant as it was when you were 25. It's just not. book of Ecclesiastes tells us that. So you got this 100-year-old guy going, I'm as good as dead. You know, in more ways than one. I'm just dead. You know, I'm one foot out of the grave. And my wife, she's dead. <laughs> now, this is a very real reality that Abraham had to face. And, it, and, and if you think about it, you know, God, you look like a real idiot here. I mean, what do you mean telling me I'm going to have a child? I mean, you gave me this promise. I'm a hundred almost, and Sarah's dead. Oh. Sarah had this brilliant idea. I know, Abraham. I know what the solution is. You need to have a child with my young maidservant. That's what God meant. That was a critical error. Because you know, 
Do you know what race came from Abraham's maidservant? Arabs, the Palestinians. And guess what's been bothering the Jews for the last 7,000 years? The Arabs. Does God love the Arabs? Of course he does. I'm taking me wrong. God planned for that. God knew it was going to happen. But if Abraham hadn't gone and taken things into his own hands, why? They wouldn't have had all these problems they've had all these years. But be that as it may, Abraham made a mistake. And he suffered for it. But God didn't take back his promise. He said, you're going, to have, you're going to be the father of many nations. God was speaking spiritually, speaking physically and spiritually. All right? Well, so Abraham and Sarah did their part. And lo and behold, this wasn't the Immaculate Conception, but this was close. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. This is real close. There was miracle working power here. Sarah should not have had a child. God allowed her miraculously. Imagine, ladies, having a baby. At 80. Some of you imagine at 40. Imagine 80 having a child. Now Abraham's probably realized, well, I guess I gotta live longer because I gotta be a father to the kid. You know, so what does the Bible say here? It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced reality. See, that's the beautiful thing about being a Christian. We can face reality. We can go, you know, circumstances are pretty bleak here. Things look really bad. They don't look good. But he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what God had promised. Where does, where does God want to put our eyes? On God. On God's promise. You've got to live your life based on promises. If you want to be a person who has an impact in the world, then you've got to get into the scripture and let God give you promises to live your life by. Now I'll share with you a, a personal promise. I don't usually share this with people very often. It's in Isaiah 49. Many, many years ago, um, long, long time ago, God put this desire in my heart to be a pastor, to get into ministry. And I, I really wanted to have it, live my life for Christ and have an impact on other people. But there seemed to be this problem, and the problem seemed to be my mouth. And every time I turned around, it seemed I was getting rebuked strongly and often not very lovingly. For my mouth. I couldn't figure it out. It was frustrating. It hurt. At the same time, I knew I need to accept this. God wants to teach me. God wants to work in my life. But, but I've been rebuked in such a way that if it weren't for what I'm going to show you here, I would have just become hopeless and said, you know, what the, what the heck? I just, I just give up. This is just pointless. This is just pointless. In Isaiah 49... It says, verse 1, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he's made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. 
He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Mark, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I've labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. Now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring others back to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and God has been my strength. He says, Mark, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant, just to restore the tribes of Ames and bring back those in Iowa I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's exactly how I read this. That's exactly how I read the Bible. The Bible is a personal book. So, let me tell you a little story of what happened to me. I was in the church in Ames, and I was a deacon in the church of Ames, and I led the worship, and I did a lot of other things. I wasn't a pastor, but I was a deacon. I had another full-time job. And uh, some things started happening in my own life. There were... Real needs, no doubt about it, there were real needs in my life. And uh, some friends went to a pastor, told him about these things. They didn't come to me. He invited me over to his house and basically laid into me. It was kind of like a Mack truck hit me. And, um, and I said, you know, well, yeah, there are some needs in my life, no question. Okay, you know, maybe I should step down from being a deacon. And this was a very humiliating thing to do because everybody in the church knew me and I kind of knew what it meant. And um, so I did. And um, a, a, a day later, I had this very close friend. Well, at the time, you know, we were pretty close. We'd been in business together, and we'd, you know, led together. We'd done a lot of things together spiritually. And uh, he came to me and said, Mark, I don't understand this. I think, I know you personally. I think you're a really neat guy. I think God's doing a lot in your life. I just don't think this is right. And I said, well, you know, I think there's merit to it, and I think there are needs in my life. I ask you to pray for me. He said, well, I will, but I still don't agree with it. Two days later, he called up and said, I was wondering if I could come and visit with you. So I said, well, okay. Uh, I was working my two jobs at the time, and so I was, you know, home for briefly an hour, and then I'd leave and be gone until 2 in the morning. So he came to my house, and I had no idea what was coming. If I had, I probably would have said, I'm too busy. <laughs> But I guess it's a good thing I didn't know. So he came over, and he opens up the book of James. Now, I'm going to show you this. I'm going to read it to you. <laughs> so you get the sort of sort of the impact. He goes, Mark, he goes, you know, I've been thinking about your life. I've been thinking about you. You know, I was wrong about what I said the other day. I want to read you a passage of Scripture. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. He said, Mark, you know, as I've thought about your life, you're really of the devil. Earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. And I think this is a really good thing you stepped down. And, uh, well, that's all I wanted to tell you. And he left. Now, you know, I had already had the one punch, and now it was the one-two punch. And, uh, and needless to say, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an emotional being as well as a, uh, you know, spiritual being as well as a human being. And, and uh, he left, and... Tears just started to fill my eyes, and I thought, you know, Lord, maybe 
Maybe the whole last seven years of my life is a war. Maybe, you know, maybe I really suck. You know, maybe maybe I really am. Lord, I I just... I don't, I don't know what to do, Lord. And, uh, and I didn't tell my wife any of this. And... Uh, and you know, that night, I thought, you know, there's just something funny about this. I can't put my finger on it. It's kind of funny, but... But you know, the one verse that I hung on to, the one verse that I hung on, I mean like I clawed into the verse, was the verse where Joseph said, you meant this for evil, but God went it for good. I felt, at the time, but I knew it would be inappropriate to go into attack mode, that there was a little maliciousness here. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. But I thought, you know what, Lord? I'm going to have to trust you're going to work this for good. But, but I'm, I'm, being, I'm saying that very unemotionally right now. This is probably one of the most emotionally difficult things I ever went through. I went to work that night. I took my living Bible. And I read over this passage. And in front of the people that are coming for change, just tears rolling down my eyes. I'm thinking, you know, Lord, this is, this is all I've been working towards for seven years or six years. And, geez, maybe it's all gone. Maybe... Uh, Maybe I heard you wrong. Um, a few days later, I read this verse in Isaiah 49. And the Lord reconfirmed to me my, his call in my life and said, Mark, the very thing that you're getting knocked for, I'm going to make you the sharpest individual that these folks have ever met. I'm going to polish you. I'm going to take you in secret. I'm going to polish you. And one day I'm going to shoot you back out into the arena. And I'll tell you what, people are going to be amazed. So, well, okay, Lord. So, for, for six months, I may, I'm, I'm really condensing this. For six months, I really wrestled with my emotions. I really wrestled with this. Fast forward for just a minute. Years later, after I was a pastor, and my friend, he's now a pastor as well that came to me that night. At one of my pastor's conferences that we're at, this is about uh, six years ago, he came up to me and said, Mark, I was wondering if we could go for a walk and chat. I said, well, sure. He said, well, I, I have something I need to tell you. I've needed to tell you for a long time, and I'm really ashamed to tell you. I said, well, brother, you don't have to be that. Uh, what can I do for you? He said, well, you remember the night that I came to your house? And I read you from the book of James. I said, well, yeah, I remember. I said, um, by the way, uh, I have no hard feelings about that. That was a major turning point in my life. God used it. He said, well, I just needed to confess something to you. I did it all to hurt you. I was extremely jealous of you, extremely jealous of your abilities, and I, and I meant it maliciously. Well, I thought he did. I never said anything about it, but it felt like he did. The meek will inherit the earth. Don't you ever, ever, ever give in to what you know God has told you and respond back and smack people. Hold out, wait on God, trust God. Well, something interesting happened. I was uh, working at my video arcade and doing my thing. And Now, I'm going to share some things with you. I'm taking a risk to share this with you. I'm only trying to illustrate that God keeps his word. That's really my point here, okay? That's my point. God keeps his word. 
I, 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 um, I kind of went into, I became a recluse, mostly because my job demanded it. I, I was no longer at the church meetings. I found out, in fact, that the pastor who had sat me aside and really strongly rebuked me had also told most of the people who knew me not to ever have anything to do with me. I, I didn't know that. I found that out several years later. But, but basically what happened was, and again, I have no ill will whatsoever. I still labor closely with a lot of these people. Some of them are gone now. They just, they've gone other directions. Not one person called me up on the phone and say, how are you doing? Not one. This individual who taught, never called up and said, well, Mark, you know, can I help you? Can I be an encouragement to you? I not only will show you where you're wrong, but I want to help you grow in what's right. Not once. <clears throat> God was working in a unique way in my life, in my heart. Now, just so you don't get the wrong idea, my nine years in Ames was among the best nine years of my life. I would go back and do them all again. This is one isolated incident. Most people's experience there was not like this. This just happened one scenario in my own life, and I want to make that really clear. So... I'm not at the church meetings anymore. I'm up at Zap Video Arcade. I'm doing my route, and I'm listening to these tapes, and I'm overdosing on these tapes. And I'm listening, and I'm listening, and I'm growing like a weed. My wife's growing like a weed. My family's growing like a weed. Pretty soon, I got people coming up to me, going, this is after about a year and a half, when are you going to be a pastor? When are they going to make you a pastor? You know, I said, hey, I'm not the guy to ask about that. That's it to God. And I'm just trying to grow. I'm just trying to follow God. You just love your leaders. Let's serve them and love the Lord. So that's what I tried to do. Well, one night, I get a phone call from one of, the, one of the other pastors. Again, not every pastor was involved in every situation. So uh, Brent was one of the other pastors. There was a guy named Terry. And uh, I, I knew them, but not very well. Terry calls me on the phone. He says, Mark, we're going to have this panel discussion tonight at our church, and we're wondering if you'd be part of it. Well, sure, okay. I showed up, and you know, I, I looked pretty different because I, I had curly hair then. <laughs> I had a perm. Let me put it to you that way, okay? I'll show you, I'll show you a picture sometime. I was doing all things to become all things still men. So it's a long story. I'll tell you some other time. So, you know, people were kind of stunned. They would kind of thought, actually, we heard rumors, Kathy found out later, uh, that people thought we tubed out. Oh, we hadn't tubed out. We were still around going, growing. Going. And Kathy was still coming to meetings, just I couldn't make it to most of them. So the panel's going, and some people are asking questions, and finally someone looks at me and says, well, Mark, uh, I'd like to ask you a question. Somebody answers, asked me a question. And I stood up and began to answer that question. You could have heard a pin drop in that church that night. It was a different mark than any of them had ever known before. And in 10 years, in 10 years, now that's, well, that's been a little more than 10 years ago. I become one of the most sought-after speakers in this movement. The tapes of the conference I do sell almost two times more than all the other ones put together. And in 10 years, we have the largest church in the movement. Now, why do I say that to you? I say that to you because to illustrate simply one simple point. If you are gullible enough to believe God's 
promises. It's all about God. It's not about people. If you believe God, nobody can hurt you. Nobody can stop what God will do through your life. But you must have the guts and the courage to believe Him. Do not miss this. God is not a respecter of persons. He is a respecter of faith. He is a respecter of faith. A respecter of faith. Now, do I still need rebuked? Sure I do. Do I still need corrected? Yes, I do. Do I still need polished? Do I still need to learn to use my mouth better? Yes, I do. But I'll tell you what, I get paid to make my living with my mouth now. A lot of people never thought that would happen. You know, it was interesting to me. It's, it's always interesting for me to find out people's views of me. Sometimes they really surprise me. And we were at the pastor's conference this summer, and Brent made a statement really surprised me. I didn't know this. He said, and he meant this in a really good way. It, he really did. It just hit me. It, it just, I, well, I'll, when I tell you this, you'll understand. He said, you know, he said, God wants us to be men that take, take risk. He said, let me give you an example. He said, I think one of the greatest risks we've ever taken as a movement was when we recognized Mark Darling as a pastor. <laughs> I'm kind of sitting in my chair going, I wonder, how do I take this? You know? I, I think he means this in a good way. I've come to know Brent long enough to know, I think he means that as a compliment. But you know what it reaffirmed to me? I've always been behind the eight ball. Because people are prejudicial about my personality. Mark comes on strong. Mark's too aggressive. Mark's cocky. Mark's arrogant. See? People may do that with you too. Whatever your kind of personality is or whatever your temperament is. You know? And I tell you this, I thank God for Brent because there, I think there are a few men that we could have worked with me. And I mean that to his credit. You know, I've learned an awful lot from him. And in fact, uh, you know, I just think the Lord probably have us together the rest of our lives. One way or the other. I think it's been a dynamic combination we would have never dreamed up on our own. But I thought about that. I went home and I just said, Lord, thank you that you believed in me. Thank you that I wasn't a risk to you. Thank you, Lord, that your promises, they come true. God's promises come true. I look back in Psalms. Psalm 112, it says, Oh, the bliss of the man who greatly reveres the Lord, who takes great delight in his commands, his children will be the mighty in the land. Well, I, I'm not here to say, I think my children are the mightiest in the whole land. But it, I was recently back in Ames, uh, three weeks ago, they invited me to come. They just built a building and it's just beautiful. They did an awesome job. I'll tell you, those saints are just so dear to me. Many of them I don't know anymore. But... They asked me to speak on a Thursday night at one of their kickoff meetings, so I did. And I told them, I said, you know, brothers, this is something that I want to tell you. The nine years I spent in Ames were probably nine of the best of my life. And you know what? The things I learned here, they all worked. When I left here, I left with babies. But you know what? They aren't babies anymore. And you know what? They've grown up straight and strong and they love the Lord and they're serving the Lord. And you know, 
the greatest struggle I've ever had with my kids is how they wear their hair. Wow. That's tough, isn't it? That's tough. I'm never worried once whether they're going to go out and get drunk, be immoral, break a curfew. I trust them explicitly. Do you know why? Because the promises of God work. Now, you got to understand, some of you don't compare. you got to realize that I got to start from before they were even out of the womb. Some of you only come to know the Lord, and you've you got a 16-year-old. You know, we can't compare. That's like comparing apples to oranges. God will keep his word to you. But what all I'm trying to illustrate is that when we take God at his word, and we believe him, and we have the courage to believe him, God keeps his word. The second thing you're going to have to do to believe God is you're going to have to have the courage. You're going to have to have courage. Courage to stand alone. I'll never forget, some of you know this story, the first time I met Kathy's family. It didn't go over. I'm not going to focus on that. Just to briefly say, it didn't go over very well. It really, it kind of blew up in our face. And I'll never forget, I recently found, uh, I've been looking for years, and I found them in a bag in the garage. And I knew I'd saved them, but I just forgot where. The letters, the love letters that Kathy and I had written back and forth to each other. I've given them to my daughter to read because I I believe they're a legacy to my kids. They're very different than any other love letters, aren't they, Celeste? They're very different. They aren't normal love letters. You've read some of them, and you know they aren't like, Oh, I love you. I can't wait to hug you, baby. I can't wait to kiss you. You know, it's, it's not anything like that at all. Okay, it's, it's not, I wouldn't be ashamed to let anybody read these letters, all right? And we were just 19 years old, and you could just see in my wife a beating heart for Jesus Christ. Well, imagine, what would you do, what would you do if you took your boyfriend home, and the first time your parents meet him, they curse at him, they kick him out of your house, and they tell you you will not go back to school and they're going to have you deprogrammed and they lock you in your house. I want to ask you, ladies, would you stand by your man? I want to ask you, would you have some second thoughts about this whole thing? You know, you might think to yourself, you know, I don't know if this guy's worth it. There's a lot of other fish in the sea. <clears throat> took a lot of courage. And I'll never forget the time that Kathy's mother found out we were going to homeschool our children. Didn't mean for her to find out quite the way she found out, but she grabbed Celeste to say goodbye, sat her on her lap and said, Well, sweetheart, you're probably going to start kindergarten next year, aren't you? And Celeste, being the outgoing person that she is, said, Well, I think my mommy's going to teach me at home next year. And her mother went through the roof, right in front of us, the kids, everybody, cussing, swearing, calling Kathy every name and then stormed out of the room. What do we do? Do we fight back? No. Took courage not to fight back. We said goodbye to Doug, got in the car. She cried eight hours home. And I just comforted her. I said, Kathy, guess what? We're right. And one day, they'll know we're right. We're right. Three weeks later, we got a letter saying, you're out of our will. If you can't live your life like normal people, don't ever come down here again. Well, my goodness. Did we, get it? Did we go bonkers? Did we lose it? No! I said, honey, give me the letter. I ripped it up, threw it in the wastebasket. I said, come on. 
You know, listen, Kathy, your Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father is proud of you. And He's the only Father that matters. And I'm proud of you, sweetheart. I'm proud of you. You follow me. We'll keep going in this together, and it'll work. Guess what? Oh, man. Now our Father writes, calls her, and said, You know what, Kathy? Man, I wish the whole world had kids like yours. You're the neatest mother I ever met. She never thought she'd ever hear that man say anything remotely close to that. It's going to take courage to stand and follow Jesus Christ. Brother and sister, it's going to take courage. And if you want to be an impact player for God, you've got to have courage. I remember working in the automotive field, and I had a boss who was very... Every boss I ever had before I started working at Evergreen was a pathetic nightmare. You know, his boss from hell, basically. And I had this guy. He was like a monster. His name was Don. And and this guy was the most lewd, crude individual, that one of them that I've ever been around. And he was about, at that time, he was about 50, 55. And, and you know, he, he could, he could say, he'd say the most filthy things. It'd make a tree blush. I mean, this guy was just bad. He was just bad. He was mean. So, and he was really filthy. So he was always trying to pressure me to deliver over, you know, I had just taken over this territory, and I got kicked out of places. I got kicked out of gas stations, service centers, because of this man's reputation. And so as I was walking out saying, I'm really sorry for what happened with the last guy. All I'm asking is for a chance. Please remember, I'm not him. Just give me a chance to deliver. And I'd leave. As they're cussing at me because of him. He would call me, say, ah, you're promoting a special market. You're promoting those specials. Hey, you got some calendars coming over. You better hand them out. Well, the calendars came. They were pornographic. They were lewd. So I went right over his head. I got on the phone and I called the vice president of the company who happened to like me. I knew he kind of liked me. And I knew talking to Don would be like talking to a Tasmanian devil. It would just be pointless, you know. So I called Don, uh, Kenny. This was this guy's name. I said, Kenny, how are you doing? He said, Mark, man, it's great to hear from you. He says, listen, you're doing a really good job out there in that territory. We appreciate it. And I said, well, Kenny, I appreciate hearing that from you. He said, listen, i got a favor to ask you. I said, what's that? I said, listen, Kenny, you know, I just got these calendars. He said, oh. I said, well, first I wanted you to know I work for a really cheap company. This company is really cheap. They didn't give nobody nothing. All the other salesmen got to hand out all kinds of stuff. We got to hand out nothing. So I said, I, I wanted you to know I'm really thankful that you're trying to look out for the salesman because I know you're the one trying to help give the guys, you know, stuff to hand out to the customers. But I said, Kenny, I said, listen, this territory is built... Not on Don's reputation or your reputation, but it's built on mine. And uh, my moral integrity is on the line. And Kenny, I just can't in good conscience pass these calendars out. And you could tell he was blushing over the phone. He just, oh my gosh, Mark. He said, why, I had two sets of calendars printed up. I had the girl calendar printed up and... The antique car calendar printed up, and you were supposed to get the antique cars. And I said, well, that would be nice because, you know, I'm in the car business, not the lingerie business. <laughs> you know? And, um, and he goes, you send those right back here on the truck tomorrow, and I'll send the other ones to you. He said, that, that was a big mistake. 
Well, unbeknownst to me, you know how gossip goes. That got around the other 30 stores in eight hours. Every store, every other salesman knew what I'd done. The next morning, Don from Marshalltown, which is 50 miles away, is at my door at this store. And he's this far away. This guy weighs 400 pounds, 5'11". And the reason he wasn't president of the company is because at one of the sales gatherings, he got mad at the president, punched him, and knocked him out cold. The only reason he wasn't fired is because he owns major stock in the company. This guy was a vicious guy, very used to dominating everybody and having his way. Now, I'm not a very big guy, you know. I'm 5'8", and I weigh 140 pounds. At the time, I was 5'8", weighed about 135 pounds, okay? So I'm, I'm standing there, and uh, he's right in my face, spit going on my face, you know. You think you've been abused in the workplace? Let me tell you some stories, okay? <laughs> so I'm standing there, and I'm just listening. He goes, you blankety-blank. Who the blankety-blank you think you are? You blankety-blank will pass out those counters. I said, Don, I said, listen, you can take the calendars. You can give them to your sale. You can do whatever you want with the calendars, Don. But I'm not passing out the calendars. This territory is built on my reputation. He said, I could fire you. I said, well, Don, sure you could fire me. But if you remember, last year this territory was doing $10,000 a month. It's now doing $20,000 a month. And you make a commission on what I do. If you want to lose that, go ahead and fire me. But I don't think you want to lose that. Well, then, Larry, the store manager, will pass him out. I said, no, Don. Larry, Betty, Sally, the delivery girls, me, no one's passing him out. This store is built on my reputation, and nobody will hand him out at this store. He grabs the box out. He walks into the car. That two weekends from then, we had a sales outing. And I go to the sales outing, and the first thing I do when I walk in the room is this, this guy, drunk guy, goes, Oh, there's Mr. Holier Than Thou and his wife. And the whole place just, you could have heard a pin drop. It takes courage to live for Christ. It takes guts. You're going to have to learn to see the invisible God. You can't be afraid of people. I'm more afraid of God than I ever am of people. It scares me more not to fear God and have people hate me than have everybody think you're wonderful and know in my heart I compromised. I compromised. You'll never be an impact player if you compromise. Understand? You'd be a peacemaker. Nothing wrong with being a peacemaker. But if you're a compromiser, God cannot use you. He will not use you. So it's going to take faith, and it's your faith, you see, that gives you courage. I knew, you know what, Don? I mean, you fire me. You fire me. Guess what? In my heart, I'm telling myself this. You're not my boss. My boss doesn't spit in my face. My boss doesn't yell and scream at me. God is my boss. And you can only do with me what God allows you to do with me. That is a very powerful position, isn't it? Do you get what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Artaxerxes could only do with Esther 
what God allowed him to do with Esther. Haman could only do to Mordecai what God allowed him to do to Mordecai. But Mordecai won. Haman got hung. Don is dead. I'm here, alive and kicking and living for Christ. My life's working. His family's a mess. Do you understand? You win. You're the winner. Okay. Now that's internal strength. And that internal strength comes from what you believe. And in it, what you believe is, is determined on who you're seeing in your life. If you're seeing, are you seeing circumstances? Are you the kind of person that's like, circumstances, they're bad. People, they're all bad to me. Or God. God is good to me. God is fair to me. God is merciful to me. God is faithful to me. That changes the game. Do you understand that? That is power. That's where power comes from. When you learn to see that invisible God who lives, who lives in you, who works for you, who answers prayer. I don't know. I just told you some of these stories. I want to make it really clear, really clear, even though some probably won't believe this. This was not about self-glorification. I simply want to illustrate you, to you that I've had to go myself and still do through many difficult things, through many adverse circumstances where I had to choose to believe God and not give in to my fears and not give in to my tempted discouragement and not give in to wanting to quit. It pays off. It pays off. Not because I'm gifted. Not because I'm this or I'm that. But because I was childlike enough to believe that my daddy would keep his word. Okay? And then you have to have the corresponding courage. You go, or God cannot use you. You cannot be an impact player without desire. You can't be an impact player without discipline. But you can have discipline and desire. And if you don't have faith, if you don't have courage, then what's the point? Y'all following me tonight? Is this like clear, sort of like crystal clear? If it's not, feel free anytime to ask me a question to clarify. I want to make sure that you're really on this page, that you really understand this. Because you know what? Our goal at Evergreen is to build champions for Jesus Christ. Our goal is to help you become all, all of you, male or female, young and old, champions for Jesus Christ. That is what this church bottom line is about. To make you a champion. To make you an impact player so that on your job, in your family, in your relationships, in your health, in your finances, you win. You win. You're an overcomer. You're an impact player. That's the goal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, God, that you keep your word. We thank you that you... Do what you say you will do. We thank you, Lord, that you have the power, the power to do everything you said you will do. God, I ask you tonight to put hope in my brothers and sisters to realize, each of them tonight, that you are not a respecter of persons. You look to the one who's willing to believe you. You said the eyes of the Lord move throughout the whole earth to strongly support the one whose heart is completely his. Oh, God, I pray that you'd help my brothers and sisters here tonight to give you their whole heart, to believe your word, to hold on tenaciously to the promises that you have given to them.
In Jesus' name, amen.